Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that the Old Testament, that, that for many, they look at it as an old antiquated scriptures, but Father God, it so clearly is a picture of just your perfect son. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the Old Testament is revealed in the new. And we just ask, Father God, that tonight as we look at the, the garments of the high priest, what a clear picture of Jesus. May we just, by the power of your Spirit, may it just illuminate us, Father God. May it, it exhort us, Father. May it give us a, a deeper love for you and just the blessing it is to know that we've been saved by your shed blood upon the cross. So Lord, we ask again that you would be our teacher. Just minister to each person who's here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Now, if, you've, if you're just here for the first time on Wednesday or haven't been in a while, we've been going through, again, verse by verse of the Old Testament. And this portion of Exodus, we're looking at the tabernacle. And again, if, you, if you've gone to churches where they teach topically, they're typically not going to look at the tabernacle because it, you know, it talks about making tents and you know, how you put this thing together. And it looks like an instruction manual out of your kid's Christmas present or something. And, and a lot of people look at it and they just go right by it. And I want to tell you that the tabernacle is awesome to me. And the reason that it is, it's such a clear picture of our Savior. And as they encamped, as they were wandering in the wilderness and they encamped and they set up and tore down the, the tabernacle over and over and over again, it's a clear picture of Jesus Christ. Just to catch us up, a quick overview again on the tabernacle. Uh, it, it's a, basically, it was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide and it was a, a tent of meeting. And had these outer walls, 75 feet on one side and 150 feet on the other. We talked about last week that there was only one entrance into that tabernacle, into the outer court. There was only one way in. And it's interesting that that one way in, that, that gate that covered it, that, that garment that covered it, was exactly the same type of garment that was in the veil that went into the Holy of Holies. Now we talked about the fact in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, it says the veil is what? Who remembers? It's the flesh of Christ. And remember that the veil was torn when Jesus Christ was crucified. And we can enter into that most holy place because Jesus Christ paid the price. No longer do we need the high priest that we're going to talk about tonight. But what's awesome to me is there was only one gate, only one way in that you could make sacrifice. And when you went in, it was a picture, a clear picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. And so the material that it was made up of, the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen, the blue representing deity, the purple representing His royal the scarlet or red representing his sacrifice or shed blood upon the cross and the white representing his righteousness and then I had woven into it angels, angelic hosts awesome picture of Jesus and then as you would go into the tabernacle the first thing you would come to and we talked about this last week was the altar of burnt offering and their sacrifices were made daily remember there's several million people wandering through the wilderness and they would go in and make these sacrifices. So the first thing they had to do is they had to enter into the court by the way of Jesus Christ, by that perfect gate. And as they came into that gate, they saw the altar of burnt offering and their sacrifices were made. Now we know that the burnt offering, again, is a picture of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was a firstborn spotless lamb or goat. Had to be perfect, couldn't be blemished, couldn't have broken legs, had to be perfect. And they would sacrifice that and shed its blood on that altar. Now it's awesome again to me, that's a picture of Jesus. And then you go past that altar burnt offering, as you're going through this room, not you know, much bigger than this one, maybe about the same size, you walked in and when you got in a little further, you came to the brass laver. So beyond the altar burnt offering was this place of cleansing. This place where you were cleansed. So after the sacrifice was paid, you entered through Christ, the sacrifice was paid, and then you cleansed yourself 
in this Browns Labyrinth, cleansing cannot come apart from sacrifice. We've talked about this many times. Without, no, without the sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin, and there can be no cleansing. Now beyond that, then you came into the holy place, and only the priests were allowed to enter into the holy place. Again, another doorway. Again, made of the same materials as the veil. Only the only way you could enter that holy place was through Jesus Christ again. And when they went into the holy place, there was three different implements or, or furnishings that were in there. And the first one that they came to was the table of showbread. And that was a picture of God's presence and God's provision. There were 12 loaves of bread that were there, and they were for the 12 tribes of Israel, and it showed that God was with them and God was the, their provision. Then on the other side of that holy place was a golden lampstand with seven total candlesticks, one with six to the sides. And that represents the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. We talked about the table of showbread. He's the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Amen? And He is the light of the world, the golden lampstand, once again pointing to Jesus Christ. Then you went beyond that, and right before you came into the, the Holy of Holies, there was an altar of burnt incense that we'll get to in chapter 30 in a few weeks. Now that incense is a picture of prayer, intercession. As they would burn the incense, it's interceding or praying. Prayer is going out up before the Lord, and that incense would spill over into that Holy of Holies. Now beyond that was the veil. And that was the thickest of all the veils. And this is a picture of Christ. And you could not enter in. They only entered in on that, through that veil on the Day of Atonement. And they went into the Holy of Holies where there was one more furnishing and it was called the Ark of the Covenant. We've talked about this, but again, I think it bears repeating so that we understand it. The Ark of the Covenant, again, a picture of Christ. Why? The three things that were in the Ark were, who remembers? Who can name one? Ten Commandments, the manna, and what else? The rod of Aaron. Now what, what those things represent, the manna is the fact that Jesus Christ, again, the bread of life and our provision, he provided for him in the wilderness. The rod of Aaron points to him being our great high priest because Aaron was the priest. And then lastly, the Ten Commandments. And we talked about how the law points us to Christ. But we talked about how Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the stone cut without hands in the book of Daniel. And so these two rock tablets had words written on them. And who's the word? It's Jesus Christ again. And on top of this ark or this box was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat had cherubim or angels that were on top of this mercy seat. And it was there that they would go in and make the atonement. And there's only way that, that they could go in is the mercy must be covering the law. If you went in and looked in, we see this later in, in the Old Testament where they looked directly in at the, the contents of the Ark of the Covenant and they were smoked, they were killed. Why? Because you cannot look directly at the law. You cannot face the law without mercy, without the sacrifice. If you stood before God only with the law before you, guess what? game over, you're in trouble. Because the law will reveal that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But that's why the mercy seat was there. And I love the fact that, that when Jesus rose from the dead and they went in to see Him, what did they see? What did the first people that came, they saw angels on both ends of the, in, in the tomb, on the slab that He was laid on, and, and blood stained in the middle from His blood-stained linen. And that's exactly what you would see if you went to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. You would see angels on either end and blood stained in the middle, a picture of Jesus Christ. And then last week, or two weeks ago, then we, finally we looked at the uh, implement, or the, the layers of the tent itself. I don't want to spend too much time, but there are four layers in making the tent. And I just love this, the tabernacle itself. The first layer we talked about was made up of the same colors and the same things that, are, that were in the veil. The purple 
and the blue and the red and the white and the angelic host. Just beautiful linen. But on top of that, you'd see that linen. That was only seen from the inside. As they would go in and, and the, the light of the, the, the candles were lit, they would look up and see this beautiful tapestry, basically. Beautiful linen. And you know what, though? They covered that up with black goat's hair as they were commanded. We talked about the fact, here's this beautiful linen, this beautiful tapestry, and they covered up with black goat's hair. The goat's hair being a representation of what? Sin. And then on top of that were goat skins, or ram skins, dyed red. Again, we talked about the fact when Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. As he was about to sacrifice him to the Lord, the Lord stopped him. God the Father stopped Abraham and said, stop. He said, I provided for myself for himself a sacrifice, and there was a ram caught in the thicket, and so the ram took Isaac's place, and so, and then on top of that were badger skins, which then was just common, and when people would walk by, they'd look at it, it didn't look like anything special, but what was underneath was something awesome, and once again, a picture of Christ, because the Bible says from his outward appearance, he was nothing to behold. People were not attracted to Jesus because of his outward appearance. They were attracted to him because of who he is. Amen? And so we see again, if you looked outwardly at the tabernacle, it was nothing special. So that brings us today, as we've gone through the tabernacle, we've looked at each of the different implements. We'll look at them again. As the, These were just the instructions that have been given. And now we're going to look at the high priest. Having described again the, the, the tabernacle, its furnishings, now we'll look at the duties of the priest. Now the priest had several duties. One, they were to burn incense in the golden altar twice a day. Again, making intercession before the Lord. They were to maintain the lampstand and the table of showbread. Last week we talked about the lampstand, and we too, as a reflection of Christ, are called to be the light of the world. And in the lampstand they put oil. Oil in the Bible is a representation of what? Holy Spirit. And for us to be the light of the world, we must have what? We must be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be apart from it. There'll be nothing burning in you. There'll be nothing shining from you if you're not indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they were to maintain the lampstand and the table of showbread. And then they were to offer sacrifices for the burnt offering. In addition to that, they presided over civil cases. When people had a struggle, they went to the priest. And they were the ones that brought down the judgment. And lastly, they instructed people in the law. So tonight we're going to look specifically at the priestly garments. And it's interesting to me that in Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. As we look at the high priest of the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, it too will point to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 5, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So when we look at the Bible, when you look at the Old Testament, be looking for Jesus. Amen? I love what, I love what John Corson says. How many have ever heard, I don't, I, you know, you never hear me use terms like this because who cares? Have you ever heard the term hermeneutics? Who's ever heard of that term before? Okay. Hermeneutics is basically the principles of biblical interpretation. You know, so that's what you should say. It's the principle, you don't say hermeneutics or you'll lose everybody, right? And I love what John Corson says. John Corson says, man, we don't need to be worried about hermeneutics. We need to be worried about hymeneutics. We need to be looking for him, you know? We need to be looking for Jesus. We need to open up the text and be looking for our Savior. And you know what? If you do in the Old Testament, it's hard to find a chapter where you're not going to see Jesus Christ. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at our great high priest and looking at the things that, he's going to, that the great high priest is adorned with, and we'll see a clear picture once again of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me. 
as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now, God is speaking to Moses, and he says to him, call them out to minister to me. Now, it's interesting, and I want you to see this, because this should be a part of every one of our lives. The priority of ministry, the priority of ministry is to minister to him. Even more important than ministering for him, we need to be ministering to him. You know, it's amazing to me, the more time you spend ministering to the Lord, the more effective we become ministering for the Lord. Amen? You know what? A lot of people struggle in their walk, but they don't have any intimate time with our Savior. We're to minister to Him. He created us to have a relationship with Him. He says, you set these priests aside to minister to me. That was their number one most important thing in the job of a priest. And you know what? That's what I look for when I look for leadership in a church. Whether I was the youth pastor in San Jose or in Southern California or doing men's ministry and looking for guys that would be table leaders, I was looking for people who had an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. People who ministered to the Lord. People who loved to pray. People who loved to get and just open up their Bible and spend one-on-one time with their Savior. Those are the people, the ones that minister to the Lord, that are most effective ministering for the Lord. And we make the mistake of being so busy sometimes doing things for the kingdom of God that we don't spend intimate time with our Savior. You spend intimate time with Him, I promise you. God will use you in a mighty and a powerful way. But above all else, we're to be ministering to Him. So keys to effective ministry with our Lord is, for our Lord is prayer and worship and spending intimate time in His presence. Now notice that not just Aaron, but all of his sons were called. And this is just a note to think about. When you're called into ministry, God doesn't call men, He calls families. I absolutely believe that to be true. When God called me to be a pastor, He called my wife to be a pastor's wife. He called my kids to be pastor's kids. Not that they're perfect or anything else, but my wife has to be 100% called by God, just like I am, to understand the calling that I have in my life. My wife has to be called so when the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning that she's not grump. She's, oh yeah, amen, you need to go do that. Take care, you know, ministry's about people. Shepherds never stop being a shepherd. It's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if I'm called, my wife's called. And, you know, I love my wife because she is so faithful. She'll say, hey, you know, you need, shouldn't you be studying right about now? I know a lot of women would be grumbling, but she'll be like, you know, it's Saturday afternoon, and you're going to be up till 5 in the morning. If you don't leave now, you probably should go ahead and go. And praise the Lord, but that's calling. And you'll notice that it wasn't just Aaron, but his sons were called with him. And here's the sad part. Though they were called, two of his sons are going to end up being smoked by God. Because they, we'll see this when we get to Leviticus. Two of his sons get smoked by God by fire because they don't serve and they don't honor him. It's actually, again, Nadab and Abihu are going to die under judgment. The Bible says if a man cannot rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church? doesn't mean his home is perfect, but it means his house is set apart to God. That God comes first in his home. And every aspect of what's going on in his home, again, I make mistakes, ask my wife, should be the first, I blow it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's got to be the most important thing in your home. Verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for the glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. Now the garments were holy as they were clearly, again, a picture of Jesus Christ. Set apart from common clothing to be worn only when the priest served in the tabernacle. Now these garments consecrated him. And the word consecrate means to devote or set apart 
anything to worship or service of God. Now, these, again, these were designed specifically to set this man apart. And we're going to see as we go through them, we're going to see Jesus, 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 Jesus as he's putting the clothes on. And every piece of this clothing is going to point to our Savior, our great high priest. And as, we, and as he's clothing himself, he's setting himself apart for ministry. And the same is true of us. If we're to be set apart, to be used by God, we must be clothed with our Savior. Amen? We must be indwelt by the power of His Holy Spirit. The Bible says without Him we can do nothing. And we're going to see as He's clothing Himself and He's setting Himself apart for ministry. It says there to call in the, the gifted artisans. You know, much as God used biblical writers under divine inspiration, so He too would divinely inspire the craftsmen to create these holy garments. He would divinely inspire them and indwell them and gift them to do what He's called them to do. You know what I love about our God? He never calls us to do anything that He won't equip us to do. Amen? You know, if He calls you, go for it. Amen? Because if He's called you, then He's going to equip you. You know, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. If God's given you a burden for something, step out and watch God do great things. God's not going to leave you hanging. You know what? If He calls you to do something and you go for it, He's going to do great and awesome things. You know, when I was asked to be a youth pastor in Southern California, I, you know, I don't know, what? Like, what? I, me? I, you know, I'm in my early 20s. You want me to do what? Did, well, I've never even been to a youth group because I went to church here and all the kids were so young, we didn't have a youth group. I didn't even know what they did in a youth group. I didn't know what a youth pastor was. And He said, you want to be the youth pastor? I'm like, huh? Well, uh, uh, I'll pray. Uh, uh. And I went home and God just gave me a burden for the kids and there weren't very many in the church. And I went back and I said, well, I can teach them the Bible. You know, I don't know what they do in youth groups. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how to play chubby bunnies or build marshmallow towers or anything else. But I can just teach them the Bible. And you know what's awesome to me? Is over time we saw that youth group go from a few kids till the sanctuary was full of teenagers and kids were getting saved and God was doing awesome work. And you know what it was? God just... I just was obedient. It has nothing to do with my ability or anything. God was the one that did all of it. And all I did was respond. And so as God's calling you and you feel Him pulling you to do something, don't worry about your human frailty. The fact that you know you have human frailty is a good thing. Amen? If you think, oh yeah, well I'm going to really go bless that ministry. It'll be fortunate to have me in there. I'm just thinking, wow, it's going to be awesome. Just wait till I get a hold of that. I mean, if you're like that, don't do it, okay? But you need, if you come with human frailty... And you realize, wow, I just am so desperate for you, Lord. If He calls you, He will equip you. Now, we're going to go through. Here's the items that we're going to see tonight. And these are the garments, verse 4, which shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make the holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that they may minister to me as priests. Now we're going to see that as we go through, the breastplate will point to the compassion of our Savior. The ephod will point to his authority. The robe will point to his deity. The tunic will point to his righteousness. The turban will point to the fact that he was submitted. And the sash will point to the fact that he was a servant. Now I'm going to go through those again as we get to each one of them. But again, clear pictures of our Savior, each one of them a reminder of who He is. So let's begin by looking at the ephod in verse 5. They shall, make, they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen and make an ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. Now, he's beginning to make the garments and the first one is an ephod. Now an ephod, the easiest way to remember this, the best way I can think of it, it's like an apron. It's something that goes over you, right? And it's kind of open on the side. 
and it goes over. And there's usually a garment underneath it. But an ephod, when people saw it, it was a picture of the fact that this is a person in authority. So other people that wore them, it was a picture or a person that had authority. And you might say, why would an apron be a picture of authority? Well, I don't know. Why is a tin badge on someone's shirt a picture of authority? But, you know, who knows? But when you look at it, you know that's, okay, that's a police officer. That person has authority. Why is it that a guy that has a couple more stripes on his arm in the military, oh, that's authority. But we recognize it as such. And the same was true of an ephod. It was a picture of authority. And so it said, make the priest an ephod. Now notice the, the material they're using. Doesn't this look familiar? Haven't we seen this material throughout the tabernacle? Isn't it the same material that they used to make the veil? The same material that they used to make the gate? Again, a picture of who? Jesus Christ. The colors, blue and gold, deity. Remember that gold, remember when Jesus was born, what was one of the gifts they brought him? They brought him gold. Remember purple. Purple is a picture of what in the Bible? Royalty. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, the scarlet color is a picture, it's red, and that's a picture of his sacrifice. It's shed blood upon the cross. And finally, fine linen is always white, and that spoke of righteousness. Now, verse 7. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its edges, and, and so the two shall be joined together. So this apron had to have something holding it together at the top. And so they had these shoulder straps that were put there to join this apron or this ephod together and hold it in place. And they use these shoulder straps. Okay? Now it's interesting again that as we move on here, we'll tie this in a little bit better. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. So along with something that joins it at the top, there was this sash or belt or woven band that went around the outside that held the ephod together. Now, it's interesting that when you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and you look at the whole armor of God, the belt is a representation of what? Who remembers? Belt of truth. And you know, it's also, in a practical way, what this belt was, this would be the thing that they would gird their loins with. It was the thing that would hold the, the robe out of its way so that they could do work, so they could do ministry. What did Jesus do? Remember when he washed the disciples' feet? Remember we just saw this in Luke a few weeks ago? And at the, at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, when he in, implemented it, what was one of the things he did? It says he girded himself, he picked up his robe, held it together, you know, tied it together with this sash, which is what this is here, and used, then went around and washed the feet of the disciples. When they girded their loins, it would also free them up to walk. It would free them up to war. It would free them up to do work. And so what's interesting to me here is that along with the ephod having authority, we see that it has a band made of the very same material that holds it all together, and that's a picture of servanthood. Whenever you see them girding up their loins, it meant that they were going to work, they were going to serve, they were going to minister. So the ephod is a picture of authority, and being held together, it's a picture of servanthood. Now it's interesting to me that in the Bible, you always see authority and servanthood together. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? The servant of all. Who is Jesus? He is Almighty God. No one has more authority than Him. But who is the greatest servant that ever lived? Jesus Christ. You know what? The ultimate authority comes from serving others. You know what? A lot of guys, I mean, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I want to encourage you guys, 
Getting authority in your home isn't coming in saying, sit down, shut up, and submit, woman. That ain't going to work too well. And if it does, let me talk to your wife because you've got to straighten you out, man. That ain't going to work. You know, you don't, you don't enforce authority like this. That's not authority. You don't demand authority. You know how you lead in your home? You serve your wife. You, you lay down your life for your wife. You minister to her. You esteem her greater than yourself. How do you have authority in the lives of your children? You know what? It's very easy for my kids to obey me if I'm serving them, if I'm loving them, if I'm ministering to them, if I'm involved in every aspect of their lives, if I'm praying with them, if they know that Daddy loves them, it's very easy for them to submit to Dad. And the same is true, that that's our Savior. He's the ultimate God of authority, but He served us by hanging on the cross. Isn't our Savior an easy person to submit to? Amen? Do you ever think, oh, I should be in charge of Him? Uh, No way. Uh, No. Now, I've heard people say that. Whoa, let me move over here when the lightning hits. I don't want to get any ashes on me. But the thing is, that I have no problem serving Him. Why? Because He's such an awesome God. He's such a wonderful Savior. And authority and servanthood must always go together. If you want authority at work, if you're in authority at work, serve the people that, are, that, are, that report to you and watch what God does. Serve them. Minister to them. And watch what God will do. Do it in your home. Do it in your workplace. Those two things go together. If we have authority again, wherever we are, whether it's in jobs or, or in church as well, you know what? I'll tell you what. When I look for pastors, I look for servants. Find me the guy on his knees scraping gum off the floor. There, there's, there's someone gets it. You know why? They're not worried about position. They're not worried about how they look before people. They just want to serve. They just love people. And that's what God's called us to be. Jesus had the ultimate authority and he was the ultimate servant. And remember this, that humility is not thinking little of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Just take yourself out of the equation completely. Let God alone be glorified. And so the sash freed them up to do work. It freed them up to, to gird it up their loins so they could move, so they could work, so they could minister. And it was tied into the ephod, which was a picture of authority. Made of the same material. Why? Because it's Jesus. He's God. He's servant. And He's master. All at the same time. Amazing. Only Jesus can be that. No other way. How do you know if you're truly a servant? Let me tell you how. Someone starts treating you like one, how do you react? Right? Oh yeah, I'm a servant. Hey bro, can you do this? You know, didn't even thank me, man. I came over there, spent like two hours helping. Man, no thank you, didn't buy me pizza, nothing, man. What's up with that? Right? I mean, we get this thing where, where we, we get all battered out of shape because, well, I served and nobody noticed. Well, then you're not a servant. If you're really a servant, it won't matter if anyone notices. Let me just read you quickly out of Luke chapter 12. It says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. This is verse 35 to 38. Blessed are those servants when the master, when he comes, will be found watching. Surely I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down and eat, and he will come and serve them. Now, this is interesting. As we serve, we should be watching. We should be girded up and ready to go for the kingdom of God. We shouldn't be so entangled with the things of this world that we can't do anything for the kingdom of God. I've heard people say this, you know what, man, that guy's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I think the problem in the church today is we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. I think it's the opposite. You know what, if your mind's on heaven, you're going to be impacting the world. Do you think the first century church after Pentecost was heavenly minded? Without a doubt. And what happened? They turned the world upside down, the Bible says. Here come those who turned the world upside down. It's in the Scripture. That's what it says. 
I mean, wouldn't that be a great reputation? Calvary Chapel, oh, you guys are the ones that have turned Santa Cruz County upside down. I would love that. Man, that would be wonderful. But that's only going to happen if our eyes are looking up and we understand that it's all about serving and loving and laying down our lives for others. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 9. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave them with the names of the sons of Israel, six of the names on one stone and six of the names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravers of the signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold. You shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. Now remember I told you earlier that this ephod, this representation of authority, had to be held together at the waist with a sash or a belt, woven cord, whatever you would call it. And then at the top they had these straps. Now he's saying that on top of these straps you're to take these onyx stones and engrave the 12 tribes of Israel and put them in gold settings on top of these straps. So as as the priest was walking around on his shoulders, he had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved in the same type of stone. Now what's awesome to me is the Bible tells us that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is it that carries us? Who is it that carries our burden? Who is it that shoulders our burden for us? When Jesus was carrying the cross, what did he put it on? He carried it on what? His shoulder. And it's saying that all 12 of these tribes, as the priests would go in to this holy of holies, this holy place to make sacrifice before God, that upon his shoulders was the burden of Israel. A picture of what Jesus was yet to do. A picture of the fact that our great high priest carries our burden for us. What an awesome picture. Now, verse 15. Now we're going to see things change a little bit. That's the ephod. So you get a picture of the ephod a little bit. I know it's hard in your mind to imagine but again, an apron-like thing made out of this blue and purple, the, per- the same colors as the veil. And then on that ephod, it was tied together at the bottom. At the top, it had these straps, and on top of that were these onyx stones, okay? There's still going to be garments going underneath it, but just try to follow me if you can. First, now we're going to go on to the breastplate. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, purple, Blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. A span is half of a cubit, or about nine inches, roughly. So a nine inch by nine inch square is this breastplate that then would be mounted, as we're going to see, on the front of the ephod. And let's take a look at what, what this breastplate is all about. This breastplate of judgment, or this breastplate of decision. And you should put settings of the stones in it, four rows of stones. The first shall be a sardis, a topaz, an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a, uh, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold st- uh, settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of the signet, each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. Now, we saw that before that the twelve tribes were written six in each of the onyx stones on the shoulder, carrying the burden. 
But then on the breastplate, each of these 12 tribes would have its own individual stone that was totally unique. So here we see that they have the, the same thing carrying their burden, the same foundation, if you will, for their faith. And the burden was being carried by Christ. But then we see on the breastplate that they're all unique. These 12, they're all beautiful gems, but they're all different from one another. And I love the fact that it's on the breastplate. Because just as the burden is being carried, we see that these gems representing Israel, where is it housed, where is it put near and dear to the heart of the high priest? And so each one of these stones is a gem, and it's beautiful, and it's unique. Each tribe had its own, each beautiful, all valuable, yet different. Each reflecting, reflecting or refracting light in a different way. Each near to the heart of the priest. And I just want to say this. Every believer in this room is founded on the same foundation. We're founded on the rock, Jesus Christ. Those onyx stones on His shoulder. He's bared the burden for us. The price has been paid. But do you know in God's eyes that every one of you is a gem to Him? The Bible says that you are precious to Him. And do you know that He holds you near and dear to His heart? And you know what? We're all a little bit different. We've got different callings. We've got different ways of reflecting Him or refracting Him to the world around us. But we're all gems to Him. He loves us so very much. How do we determine the value of something? What somebody's willing to pay for it? And what was paid for you? This right here. How valuable are you? When the enemy tries to tell you you're of no value, remember what was paid for you. And you are a gem to him. You are so valuable to him. He loves you so very much. God esteems and values as the light of the world, reflect, and we reflect it through him. Again, we're a gem. And God esteems and, and values us. And again, as the light of the world, He reflects through us as His gems. Your name is engraved on His heart. You know, it's interesting, in Isaiah 49, it says, Your name is engraved in the palm of His hands. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. When we go to get to heaven and we see His hands pierced, it's a picture of us. It's a picture of what He did for us. And, as, and just as his, our names are engraved on His heart, they're also engraved in His hands. He carries your burden and you're on His heart. We have salvation in common, but we're uniquely gifted. Jesus sees you as a gem. You're precious in His sight. You're His treasure possession. And again, may we see through our Savior's eyes of compassion. You know what? Remember that you're a gem in His eyes, but when you look at the world, remember that the people around you are gems in His eyes. You know, a lot of times... There's two things that can happen. We can think we're of no value. We can buy into the enemy's lie. And we can think, man, God hates me. And, you know, oh, I've done so many wicked things. God can never love me. You're a gem. He loves you. You're his treasured possession. He, he, you're always on his mind. He'd rather die than live without you. That's the God that we serve. But the, the other mistake we can make is we can look at others and think that they're of no value. And that's a mistake. Because they're treasured possession too. As much as he loves us, he loves them. It blows me away that Jesus knows me best and He loves me most. I can't believe that. The one that knows me the best loves me the most. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done and He loves me more than I'll ever understand and He looks at me as a treasured possession and I'm a gem to Him. I can't believe it. And so are you. You are precious to Him. Your worth is far above rubies. You're so valuable to God. He loves you guys so much. What an awesome God we serve. And not because of how great you are, but because of how compassionate He is. You know, He loves you just as much as He loves Billy Graham. Do you know that? He loves you just as much as He loves Peter or, or Mary, His you know, earthly mother. He loves you just as much. But know this too. 
May we not forget that He loves the homeless guy down on the mall just as much as He loves you. Amen? May we not get so out of whack to think, oh, you know, I, He doesn't love me as much as that person, but He loves me more than this person. The Lord loves us all. He loves us so much, He'd rather die than live without us. We need to have an eternal perspective and eyes focused on Him. You know, the other day I was sitting in a, a restaurant with a friend of mine, and sometimes I'm just overwhelmed by the compassion of God. You know, I, when I pray, I say, Lord, just teach me to love people the way you do. And sometimes I'll see people and I'll just start weeping. And I can't, even, I can't even explain it to you, but God will just put on my heart, I love that person. And I'm sitting in Chili's and I'm with a friend of mine, Don McClure, and he went to go to the restroom. And I'm sitting there, I look and this mom's bringing in her daughter who's handicapped. And this little girl's sitting down and she's trying to eat her food. And, I just, and God just poured out of my heart, man, I love that girl as much as I love anybody. I died for her. And you know what? Because of her mental understanding, she's going to spend eternity with me. And I just started weeping. I'm looking at this girl trying to eat her food, and I'm weeping. And I'm thinking, man, you know what? That's the compassion that God wants us to have for everyone. And then on the table right next to him, there are these four guys, and they were just belligerent. And they started cussing, and ah, you know. And the Lord just gave me a clear example. I love her, but I love them too. And you know what, Dave? They need to know about me. And so God put in my heart that I need to go talk to these guys about the Lord. And you know what? We need to be praying that God would just let us see the world through His eyes of compassion. You know what? We're gems to Him. But the world around us is precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children, right? All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And man, I, you know, we need to have that compassion, need to have that love. And you see this in this ephod and this, these, these beautiful stones on His chest, they're near and dear to His heart, a picture of how near and dear we are to our Savior. What a loving and a gracious and a merciful God that we serve. Verse 22, this just shows how the breastplate was attached to the ephod by these golden chains and a blue cord. And it's amazing how you continue to see blue and gold together here, because blue and gold both, again, pictures of deity. You, verse 22, you shall make chains for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold. You shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings at the ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are at the ends of the breastplate and the other ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate at the edge of it which is on the inner side of the ephod and the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front right of the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod you shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings and rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod now these are very simple instructions but we see gold and blue and we see him taking the ephod and the breastplate and upon this where the shoulder straps are where we see that it's strapped together at the top it's held together at the bottom and now he's tying together this breastplate with all the gems and these beautiful things that are near and dear to his heart and he's attaching them to the ephod the ephod again being a picture of God's authority and the colors of it a picture of his deity what an awesome thing. And so they're being tied or knit together. A breastplate again. Blue cord again pointing to his deity. Verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So as he went in, what was he carrying? He's carrying on his shoulders the names of the twelve tribes of Israel and he's carrying the burden. 
the burden. The high priest is coming in with the burden before him. But at the same time, he has on his chest this breastplate where he, we see the place of love and compassion near and dear to his heart. So you know what? Our God has carried your burden. He's removed your burden if you'll let him. He will take all this, your sin upon himself. He did it on the cross already. And all you have to do is say, Lord, take my sin from me, and he'll take it. But not only does he take your sin away and take your burden away and carry the burden for you, but then he put your near and dear to his heart. And you be, you're that gem. And his light will shine brightly through you. And you're not like any other gem. You're unique. God's made you special to him. And he's going to use you for his glory if you will just let him. Verse 30. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be over, the, over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now the Urim and the Thummim, as we're going to see later in the Old Testament, are two stones. And these are two stones that were used for judgment. What they would do is they'd go before the Lord, and there were times when God would call the priest to reach into the ephod, this pocket, this breastplate, reach into this pocket and pull one of the stones out. And one stone would be a negative answer, and the other stone would be a positive one. Now, Urim and Thummim, the two names, I don't know if it's related or not, but the Urim is the, where the first letter of the, starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Thummim starts with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, you know, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And they would pull one of those stones out, and God would use it for judgment. Again, His loving, His gracious, compassionate, but yet judgment. And the color of the stone would confirm whether it was positive or negative from God's point of view. Now, we don't do those things anymore. There are people trying to cast lots today. You don't need to be casting lots. You don't need to be doing that anymore. This was the priest pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ would be the judge, Right? As they would reach in and pull out, it's judgment. But who is the judge? Jesus Christ. Who carries our burden? Who is it that we're precious to? But at the same time, who is our judge? Jesus Christ is. He's the one that will judge between those who will spend eternity with Him and those who will be separated from Him. Verse 31. We move on now to the robe that will go under the ephod. So we've kind of worked from the outside in. There's going to be a robe under the ephod. Look at this robe. You shall make the robe of ephod all, uh, for the ephod, of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall be woven binding all around its opening like the opening of a coat of mail. So it, shall, so it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem. And, your, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. Now, what in the world is that all about? Okay? I mean, now get a blue robe, and that blue robe is going to go under the ephod, blue representation, again, of the heavenlies or deity. But the hem of this robe that would go down past your knees, on this hem would be bells and pomegranates. Pomegranates. What is that all about? Now, bells, now here's why. We're going to see this as we look at the next verse. That when they would go into the Holy of Holies, only the priest would go in there. And how would they know if the guy, like, dropped dead in there? How would they even know he was doing ministry? How do they know he's not napping? I mean, how do they know what he's doing? Now, these bells, as he would move around in the whole, again, it's just a tent. As he would be moving around, they would hear him moving around in the Holy of Holies or in the Holy Place. Those bells would give him away. But in between those bells were pomegranates. Now, I, I, look, I thought about this, and when I think about pomegranates, here's what I think about. Anybody ever, how, how many of you ever eaten a pomegranate? Raise your hand. Are those about the messiest thing you ever ate in your life? Aren't they messy? And when you open it up, what is it? It's, it's one big what? It's just filled with what? Seeds. 
Seeds. It's filled with seeds, and when what's inside of those seeds? Red, blood-like gel, right? Isn't that true? And when you eat pomegranates, if you've got a white shirt on, you're going to be a mess before it's over, right? You've got bread all over your face. you got red. It's almost like eating pistachio nuts, right? I mean, you just give them out all red, right? And that's what pomegranates are. And I thought about that. I thought, now, wait a minute. It's the fruit that has the most seeds, which means it's the fruit that can bear the most fruit. Amen? Right? What, is, what bears fruit? Seeds. And so which fruit would bear the most fruit? A fruit that's nothing but seeds, and that's what pomegranates are. And not only that, they're filled with red gel, right? Like the blood of Christ in a sense, right? I mean, it's all red and, 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 and filled with fruit. And you know what? Through the shedding of blood comes fruit, right? The fruit of salvation. What an awesome picture that these pomegranates with these bells are on his hem. He's the great, he's a picture of the great high priest. And to me, what happens? Fruit. When you fall in love with the Lord, you bear much fruit. When you're born again, you're serving him, you're walking with him, you bear much fruit. What an awesome picture. And it's, it's, there's no chance. If it's, in, if it's in the Bible, it's not there by chance. And when I thought about pomegranates, I thought, why? And as I began to pray about it and study and look at it, I thought, duh. I mean, it's the one that bears the most fruit. And nothing will bear more fruit than our great high priest upon the cross. Amen? Nothing. And you know what? The fact that, the, that it's not green gel or, or orange or purple, the fact that it's red, to me, is such a clear picture of our Savior and His blood. Shedding of blood, producing fruit. And again, the bells would let them know where He was. Let me read on here. Where was I? Verse 35. And, you shall, and it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers that his sounds will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. They're saying, you know what? And later what they would do when they went into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope around the priest that went in because if they died in there nobody else could go in or they'd get struck down dead so they would tie a rope around him in case the guy had a heart attack or something so they could drag him out by the rope that's what they did later on so in this case it's the same kind of thing they want to know that he's in there that he ha- you know and they can hear him as he moves around verse 36 you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holiness to the lord and you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on a turban and it shall be on the front of the turban So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always on his forehead that he may be accepted before the Lord. So wear this turban. Turban here we're going to see is a picture of submission and holiness. In those days, submission, even now you see the Jews, right? They wear little yarmulkes, right? Now why do they do that? Who knows? Who knows? They believe that, that, that for them to pray their heads must be covered. They believe it's an act of submission to God by covering their heads. And in the Old Testament, that was true. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are to pray with our heads uncovered. You know why? Because Jesus is our covering. Amen? He's the one that covers us. But in those days, covering of the head was a picture of submission. And so he would submit by wearing this this turban, and then on the front of it, it said, Holiness to the Lord. And so whenever they went in to do ministry, right on their head was a picture of submission and a picture of holiness to the Lord as they walked in to do ministry. Again, a picture of our great high priest. He is the ultimate picture of holiness, and he is a great and an awesome God. We're almost done. Verse 39. You know what's interesting to me? Holiness is always on our Savior's mind. Because you know what holiness is ultimately? Ultimately, it's why Jesus came. To restore sinful man back to holy God. 
Amen? It's always on His mind. The Bible says, Be holy, for I am holy. You want to live a life that's filled with joy? Live a holy life. If you're a Christian and you're not walking with God, you're going to be miserable. How many can bear witness to that? Raise your hand. Amen? You know when you sin, don't you just, oh man, did it just break your heart? It kills me. And you know what? If you want to have a joy-filled life, walk in holiness. Trust God. Serve Him. Be submitted to the Father. Again, what an awesome thing. Remember too that when we pray, we're not giving God's orders. We're coming to Him reporting for duty. Amen? We don't pray and tell God what He needs to do. God, you need to do this, 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 and this. You know, God does not answer my prayer. He needs to do these 47 things, then I'll be happy. Oh, slow down. God doesn't need our help in telling Him what He needs to do. Amen? We need to report and say, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Lord, I'm here. Lord, whatever you want to do. Not my will, but thy will be done. Holiness on His head. Holiness on His mind. Holiness should be on our hearts. Verse 39. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen. And you shall make the sash of a woven of woven work. For Aaron's son, you shall make tunics. You shall make sashes for them. You shall make the hats for them for glory and for beauty. Now, the tunic that went underneath this... So you've got the ephod. Underneath the ephod, you've got the robe. Underneath the robe, you've got this tunic. The tunic was all white. Picture of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. Holiness. Now understand this. Righteousness is right standing before God, not doing the right things. We think righteousness is doing the right things. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before God. How can we have right standing before God? Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The only way you're righteous, the only way you can be holy is not through the things that you do, but what He's done for you. You want to be righteous, you need to repent of your sin, ask Him to be your Savior, and He will make you righteous through the work He did on the cross. Sinful man cannot pay the price for sinful man. You cannot do enough good works to wipe away your sin. Only Jesus Christ can make you a man or a woman in right standing before the Lord. Now verse 41, and it says, And you shall put them on Aaron. Now he's saying, Make a, a, a sash, and make hats, and make tunics. These are for Aaron's sons. You shall put them on Aaron your brother, and his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. So he said, Sanctify them. And clothe them in righteousness. Clothe them in this white. The, his sons will be wearing all white. As you go back and look, fine linen, all white. And he says, consecrate them. Set them aside for ministry. Set their lives aside for ministry. Sanctify them. Set them apart for ministry. You know what God wants from us, you guys? Pay attention. He wants us to live consecrated lives. Amen? He wants us to live lives and say, Lord, you know what? I want my life to count for your kingdom. Lord, I want to, I want, when this time has come and passed, only what I've done for Christ will last. And Lord, I want to be used by you in a mighty and a powerful way. Lord, I know that every one of us, when we stand before God, we will be grieved that we didn't do more for his kingdom. Amen? Won't we all feel that way? But you know what? That doesn't give me an excuse to do nothing. It should incite me to do more. We should live lives consecrated. Man, that's radical, Pastor Dave. I just want to get out of hell free card, you know? I want to put that in my wallet, and I want to go to heaven on Judgment Day. But man, you know, that's just a little too radical. Randy thought I was a radical when he met me, didn't you, Randy? You know what? But that's okay. May we be radical for Jesus. May we be consecrated. You know, do you think the first century church, those guys all end up losing their lives for the kingdom of God. Do you think they're in heaven, like, bummed out that they didn't get to stay here a little longer? 
You think they're like, oh man, I should have done less. What was I thinking? You know what I mean? I shouldn't have been so radical. We need to live consecrated lives as these guys are consecrated unto the Lord. Two more verses. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach for the, from their waist to the thighs. Now, this is interesting. Underneath this robe, they need to have something to wear. But the interesting part to me is, this is the one spot that nobody else would ever see. But they still needed to be clothed. They still needed to be clothed in righteousness in the area of their lives that no one else would see. You know what I thought about? I thought about character. You know, reputation is who we are when everyone's watching. Character is who we are when nobody's watching. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. These are trousers that would be made for them that no one else would ever see. If they didn't wear them, no one else would ever know. If they wore something different, no one else would ever know. But God would know. And you know what? We can put on all the airs we want, but character is who you are when you're alone. What are you like when you're alone? Hey, business guys, when you go out traveling and you're in a hotel somewhere and, you know, there's that cable box in your, in your hotel room that's got access to stuff you shouldn't be watching, what kind of man are you? You know, women, when, when you know, people start to gossip around you or there's something on TV, you should, what kind of person are you when nobody's watching, nobody's paying attention? What kind of people are we when we're paying our taxes? Nobody's watching. No one's paying attention. Nobody knows. What kind of people are we in the quietness, in the stillness? What kind of people are we when it comes to having lives consecrated unto the Lord? What kind of people are we when in our own devotional time do we even have one? Do we have time where we get alone with the Lord? Do we have time where we minister to Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth? What kind of people are we where no one else sees? We can be the outward Christian. We can put on the, the Christian face. People find out I'm a pastor, they put that bad boy on real quick. I'm out there on sales calls, I'll be talking to somebody, they'll be swearing up a storm, and I'll just, you know, bro, I'm really offended by that. I, can I just share something with you? Man, I'm a Christian, and I, you know, and, matter of, and really, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm a pastor at a church here in town. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, man, it just bugs me. I just don't really want to hear you curse my father. And they'll go, Christian, really? Me too, brother. You know, God bless you. You know, and they can put on that Christian face real quick, man. Just whoosh, there it comes, right? They find out what you are, and they and they conform to the you know what they want. They think is popular, and the reality is that you know we can put on that Christian face, and we can say praise God, and we can be the Christian poser that I've been talking about. You know, got the stickers on the surfboard, and got the surfer lingo, and driving the VW bus with the with the surfer racks on the top, and we can do all that stuff, and never been in the water. And Christians, we can wear the Christian T-shirts and have the you know the 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 dove on the side of our car, and we can have all the Christian lingo down, and you know what? Not really be walking with Him. We can be posers. And you know what? We need to live consecrated lives. Jesus is our great high priest. He took the burden upon Himself. He's the one that suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And He's the one that holds us near and dear to His heart. He's the one that says we're gems to Him. And by His light, He wants to shine mightily through us and use us for His glory. He will do all the work if we'll just let Him say, Lord, use me. I'm not able, available. Amen? Well, I just can't. I'm just not. Moses was a stutterer. God used him pretty mightily. Amen? You know, I'm just not, I don't have, Pastor Dave, I don't have your personality. You know, I don't have your, you know, I'm not as outgoing as you. I'm not, you know what? Can you pray? Can we all pray? Amen? Do we need any special gifts to pray? But you know what? I believe every revival starts with prayer. We want to see God do something in Santa Cruz. Let's start praying. 
and watch out. Can we all open up our Bible and have a devotional life? Absolutely. And then let God show you what he wants you to do. Burden is the spawning ground of a calling. You got a burden for something? You know what? You ask anybody here, I love to stretch people. One of my favorite things, right? I get letters from people going, dude, man, you stretched me, but I praise God. I love to go, man, dude, have you ever thought about, oh, well, let's do it, let's go. You're teaching next week, next Friday, you're up. Oh, but it's good. Because what it does is stretches people. It makes people step out of their comfort zone a little bit. I like that. And you know what? That's what God wants us to do. Live consecrated lives unto Him. And then lastly it says, they shall be on, they shall be on Aaron and on his sons. They shall come into the tabernacle of meeting. Or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, and they do not incur iniquity and die, it shall be a statute forever unto his descendants after him. Now here's the scary part, you guys. If they came in and they were not clothed the way they were supposed to be, what happened to them? What does it say in that verse? Dead. And if we attempt to come before the Father, and we're not clothed in the Son, our great high priest, not clothed in His righteousness, clothed in His, clothed in His forgiveness, clothed in His grace, clothed in His mercy. We come before Him without that, we're dead. And if the high priest came in and they weren't clothed with all of these items that were commanded by God, they were dead. Why? Because it's a picture of Christ. And the only way you can go into that holy of holies, the only way you can enter into the presence of Almighty God, the only way you can be where the Shekinah glory of God dwells is if Jesus Christ goes before you. Amen? The only way. And the good news is, the veil's been torn, you guys, and we can enter into that holy place because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. You want to go ahead and get them. Um, in conclusion, the ephod, picture of authority. Who's the ultimate authority? God is. The sash, a picture of servanthood. Who's the greatest servant that ever lived? Jesus Christ. The breastplate, a picture of, of both compassion and carrying our burden. And who is the most compassionate? Our Savior. And He cares for our burden. The robe, being blue, a picture of deity. The tunic, all white, righteousness. The turban upon His head, a picture of submission. And lastly, the trousers, un undercover, but a picture of character. Authority, servanthood, compassion, carrying our burden, deity, righteousness, submission, and character. Who's that? There's only one person that can describe, and that's Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that even as we just look at the, the clothing of the high priest, what a clear picture of You, our Savior. Lord, I pray that You would just, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, give us a, a burning compassion for the world that's dying around us without a Savior. Lord, I just pray that we would see the world through Your eyes. Lord, that we would weep for the things that You weep for, that our hearts would break for people who don't know You. Lord, give us a burden and a passion to spend time praying and interceding on behalf of Santa Cruz County. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would just be set apart, Father God, in every aspect of our lives, that we would be people of character, that we would be people who are holy and walk in righteousness. But, Lord, we know we can do nothing without You. So, Father, we just ask You would fill us afresh with Your Spirit. That, Lord, I pray for people here, maybe You're calling them to do something more than they're doing now, whether it's to pray more, to have devotions with their family, Lord, if it's to start a Bible study at work or to get involved more in ministry here at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would just, just help them to step out, to be consecrated, to set apart into ministry. So, Father, we love you, we praise you. You're such a great and awesome God. And may we just worship you now from the depths of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand up and worship.